Good evening. It's a Wednesday, the 20th of November, 2019. It must be time for a social media show. Good evening, it's Russell Prue here. Let's go across to Natalie for the latest news headlines. Online, across the world, on the Anderton Tiger Radio Network, with Russell Prue, top stories, and all the news... From Feature Story News in London, I'm Natalie Powell. The British Foreign Secretary has summoned the Chinese ambassador over allegations a former employee of the UK's Hong Kong consulate was tortured in China and detained for 15 days. South Australia has issued its highest bushfire danger rating catastrophic, with heat and winds threatening to spread the fires. And the EU, Russia and Ukraine are holding preparatory talks ahead of a meeting about gas supplies for next year. You're listening to Russell Prue, broadcasting on the Anderson Tiger Radio Network. I don't understand what's going on here. And a very good and super warm, gosh, it's chilly out there at the moment. There's no weather forecast in tonight's show. It's jolly cold out there, but you are short of a very warm welcome. Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. It is, of course, Wednesday the 20th of November, and as promised, I have a social media extravaganza of a show scheduled for you this evening. We're completely live. It's just coming up to two minutes past eight across the planet, and you are very welcome to our show. We'll bundle it all up afterwards and make it available to you as a SoundCloud and a Spotify download a little later on. And my two guests this evening, I'd like to welcome Simon Finch and the fabulous Professor Andy Fippin. They are joining me remotely and their entire interviews will be available for download. We're going to release those at nine o'clock. You'll have to wait for those. They'll be available separately as a continuous download podcast on their own with just my conversations there. For the purpose of today's show, I've pulled out some of the salient points just to kind of uh, illustrate exactly where we are uh, with some of the topics that I want to cover. So how do you get in contact with us? We are social media tastic this evening and you can tweet me. I don't think they've closed it down just yet but they're not going to and we'll talk about that in detail in just a minute because it's been a cracking day for Twitter I have to say and thank you so much indeed for the content. So I really should say good evening Prime Minister and thank you so much indeed for the fabulous content, the amazing debacle over Twitter and renaming your verified account. Um, we'll talk about that in greater detail, but thank you so much. Couldn't have been better timing as well. It will be done by nine, so don't worry. You can catch all your jungle news uh, from I'm a Celebrity, the very latest on that at nine, uh, and we'll be out of here. So we'll be done in that. And thank you so much for joining us. If you want to get in contact, we're on text. Our text number is 07624 802272. That number one more time is 07624 802272. Text a charge at your standard message rate. It will be free from most mobiles. We make no additional charge and no data is retained by us at all. You're completely safe to use that. If you want to stay on Twitter, you can tag me at Russell Prue, two S's, two L's, P R U E at Russell Prue. I'd love to read a message out. Let me know where you're listening from as well. A very a warm welcome to colleagues from the Society of Heads. Hello. Thank you so much indeed. Had the pleasure of speaking to you recently. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And let's hope one or two of you have decided to tune in 
for the very, very latest information on this. It'll just be absolutely perfect as well uh, to join us. Um, thank you so much. And of course, uh, today it's happy 72nd wedding anniversary to Her Majesty the Queen and His Royal Highness Prince, uh, sorry, Duke of Edinburgh. Oh, gosh, that knighthood's gone now, hasn't it? My goodness. Uh, his Royal Highness, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, 72. Uh, they were married at uh, St. Paul's, uh, Westminster, sorry, um, in London um, 72 years ago. My goodness. Well, I hope you're having uh, a fabulous time, Your Majesty, and many happy uh, anniversary to you both. They're brilliant. Um, we are a really good show. There's so, so much to cover on today's show. I know Simon's listening as well. So uh, we'll get on with our, our first interview as well. Very interested uh, to talk to these two very informed folk. And this is where I go uh, for my kind of compass check. And I've needed to do that uh, a couple of times just to come and uh, to grab a, um, a measure of what's going on. There's some really changes there. I'll let Simon open the show and then we'll pick up some conversations as well. So have a listen very carefully uh, to what he has to say and we'll pick the conversation up with you, perhaps uh, online as well. Uh, if you wanted to telephone us, our telephone lines are open. Uh, it's easier for me to take a call from you whilst we're listening to a pre-recorded interview. We can chat offline and then put you live. So you won't go straight onto the show, so don't worry. Our telephone number is 0845 838 7005. Calls are charged at your standard standard uh, rate 0845-838-7005. The lines are open. You'll just ring on a separate line and I'll pick your call up as soon as I possibly can. So I wanted to uh, speak to Simon and ask him really uh, what the current set of challenges are for young people on social media right now. Well, now that is that is a great question. The, the first thing I will say is, and I say this every time I'm, I'm asked to speak about this, is, is that I firmly believe that social media is, is a, a force for good and can be a force for good. I mean, it is social and it is media and that is not complicated. It's about people and it's about video and it's about audio. And so you know, that, that is our first line is that so many young people and old people like ourselves gain so much in terms of interaction and knowledge and sharing and stuff. So there is that part of it. And then you're right to ask the question, well, what are the challenges too? And we could, I could talk all day about this but there's, we could uh, talk about bullying is still a, a concern uh, and I wonder if there has been any point to the work that I've done over the last uh, 13 or 14 years that uh, online safety has been my specialism I suppose or the work that I do predominantly and yet two weeks ago I received a call an email from a school wanting me to come and really the, you know, the, the the gist of it is will you come and frighten and scare our children because they've been behaving badly online and i really felt and hoped that we could have moved beyond that so one of the challenges we have is that we have so much to do in terms of moving adults forward to, from demonizing young people on social media and understanding that our young people behave online in the same way as the adults who are their role models behave. And so, of course, we see young people bullying each other, but if ever there has been a time to see adults bullying each other, it has been since, for example, 2016, we can mention Brexit here and see the polarization of, of views and the willingness of, of people, our peers, Russell, your people we know who bully each other online. You only have to go also into the... The, the teachers' groups that we see on social media, and I'll keep that vague, but I see governors, I see school leaders, and I see uh, teachers speaking with each other in the most disgraceful way online as if it didn't matter. 
And so we have those challenges for young people is how we, how do we move them forward? And that is about embedding digital literacy, but also digital citizenship and about values and about empathy and about consideration. So to, to dig into further parts of, of, of areas of concern would be about body image and that we can see that in recent times, Instagram has, has stated that it is going to remove some of its uh, filters, which which create the impression of cosmetic surgery. And we've seen for for several years now the the, the smoothing of skin, the changing of shape, the the, the Disney animal eyes uh, that, that that are are options. And we 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 now see this kind of dysmorphic the word of a view that that people have of themselves that we don't want to be seen in public because people have only seen the pictures that we have generated online of ourselves, which are better versions of how we believe. So there is that part. But the bit that I really um, see as my focus at the moment is about digital relationships. Mm. Now, this is about the older students, but you have to start with the younger ones in the same way as that we teach uh, and, and discuss with young people in primary school about relationships, about about you know, where babies come from and, and birds and the bees and all of that stuff. By the time we get to secondary school, to sixth form and university, we need to do so much more in understanding the pressures that we feel if we are uh, having a relationship with a, you know, with a, a significant other, with a boy or a girl, you know, whichever that is, and what that means. And for me and you, Russell, and I don't want to make any assumptions here, but we, we are slightly longer in the truth and a little older. Uh, it is different for us, but to understand the pressure the intimacy, the intensity of a relationship online, of, of suddenly you have access to passwords that you can see uh, uh, praise and, and, and inter- intimate words of I love you and, I'd, and, and you are so special and you're the best person. And we see that floating over on WhatsApp, we see it in the Instagram messages, we would see it on Facebook. We'd see, and so what happens when that relationship ends? That is a really important question about the the hurt and the pain of being dumped or of 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 losing a partner. But what happens to that collateral stuff? All of those intimate images, all of those intimate words. Well, we know what happens is that we end up in a place of revenge porn, for example. And so we see uh, that youngsters copying the adults. Remember, it's the adults that created the Rate My Ex website, where people will just pour out revenge porn uh, as a way of getting back at their partner. So we need to spend a lot of time nurturing uh, the young people in our care to behave with consideration and with care and with understanding and with tolerance that when a relationship is over, all of those intimate things that in my day, and I can't speak for you for Russell, but it must be much the same, is that we had cards, you know, we had little gift cards and we had tags and that we had little presents and we put those into a shoebox and we either burnt them at the end of the relationship or we kept them somewhere safe, you know, or we tore up the picture that we the photo of us both together or we kept it. But what are we doing to teach young people about what to do with those things? And and the work that I have done in school so far uh, is about saying, well, perhaps the way we need to think about it is that we lease this content, that all of those WhatsApp conversations and those images, and, and one of the things that I also spend a lot of time on is about sexting, is that that isn't necessarily images about you know, genitals and stuff. Most people work out very quickly. Those are quite scary images, but they are sexualized images and and, and, uh, saucy images, you know, or or risque images. And Mm. and what happens to all of those things when the relationship ends? And 
And I, I suggest that we lease them. So we either put them into a secure digital vault or they put them in a folder or, or that we delete them and that we delete them forever. What we don't do is think that we still have ownership of those and that we will then share them with with our peers and you know, publicly to publicly shame them. But of course, we see adults doing that. And we're back with Simon in just a little while. But he raised some really interesting points there, I think, particularly about perhaps what about the idea of a digital archive, somewhere where you can lock that kind of stuff up with? Is that the kind of thing that we'll see when, if uh, it ever does happen, I want to tease this out as well during this, we nationalise the internet in some strange form so that we can give it free to everyone? And will that, of course... uh, provide a two-tier system where you can have the free nationalized service of the internet that is of course uh, filtered and um, uh, garden walled which is what we used to say we don't hear that term anymore now uh, but a walled garden of an internet so you, you only get the stuff that's inside the wall and you can see nothing out and the gatekeeper uh, is in control of what gets put into the walled garden. Is is that where we're heading? And will there always be an opportunity to opt out of that at a cost? And and w- is that where you'll find all the XXX content on the outside? There's some great, uh, some great topics in there as well. Just really good. It's the behaviour I want to really concentrate on. The absolute, um, uh, just bare-facedness of the whole exercise. Now, I alluded to the Twitter debacle, and this is something that happened last night. We had our first uh, leaders' debate, although not all leaders were involved in that particular uh, televised debate on the way up to our December the 12th election. I can't believe that you're not familiar with that. You must have been living on another planet uh, or elsewhere in the world to have missed that. But uh, there was our our first leaders. And what happened was, and it's the first time I think it's a recorded incident of this, um, uh, the uh, Conservative Central Office changed the name of their verified Twitter account. Now, the important thing is there is verified Twitter account. Anyone, of course, can change their name any time. There is a limit of how many times you can do it and how long it takes to do but they changed the name of their verified account now i looked very carefully today at the terms and conditions on twitter and whilst this is permitted it is not uh, uh, encouraged and it is not acceptable if you do that to mislead and that was precisely uh, the purpose of that and so I, I i found the twitter statement today and, and twitter are clearly peeved about this i have to say and they have said uh, and i quote they will take decisive corrective action on this topic now that's all very well and good and i would say that i suspect right now that the account holder at the conservative central office who used uh, are using that uh, Um, that Twitter account, uh, will be spending some serious amounts of money with Twitter to promote their tweets. There's no doubt about that. You can't get your tweets um, pinned or or promoted if you haven't paid money. They don't do it for for love these days. You actually have to pass some money on that. So I suspect that's a significant amount of money right now, probably more than most other folks have got to spend on that particular marketing. So I don't expect much to happen. I don't expect any measurable action. This is Russell Prue talking now. Terms and conditions don't apply. Uh, I don't expect any measurable action. And it's just a small gesture, I think, uh, from Twitter to actually say that. So I don't think it's going to 
really result in much at all. They're kind of posturing there as well. But that was misleading, and I think that's the, the clever bit there. Uh, Twitter have said it was misleading, and they did it to mislead. And that's the first time we've really kind of seen that. And that was a little underhandedly. I, th- I think my message is, <laughs> you fools, how did you think you were going to get away with this? Do they really think that the rest of us are really stupid? stupid uh, folk who just can't spot stuff like that and we're going to talk a little bit more detail with Andy Fippin who is Professor of Social Responsibility in IT at Plymouth University. We're going to talk to him particularly about fake news and fake posts and how they uh, are affecting and uh, do affect what's going on on the internet. It's very, very interesting. And I think now's a, a good opportunity for me to tell you about some interesting developments in, in the kind of uh, the world now. Once upon a time, we had internet cafes, and those internet cafes have now looked remarkably like Starbucks. And and the people that provide the coffee now provide the internet. But that's what you generally go to Starbucks and enjoy. I'm a bit of a Starbucks fan myself. I do enjoy a spot of Starbucks there as well. But up until last year, you needed to have one of their law cards if you wanted to sit for nothing and, and by that I mean not having purchased anything from Starbucks so sit there all day with your laptop out and enjoy their hospitality their heat their warmth their lighting uh, their air and in, enjoy and their wi-fi and sit there and do, you know maybe move a few chairs around have a meeting up until last year you needed a loyalty card to do that well last year they changed their policy and their view now is that everyone is a guest of starbucks everyone you don't need to pay that's not so now so anyone can just walk in there and whilst that is laudable ladies and gentlemen absolutely laudable and to be encouraged i like that very much what about me what about me when i go in and i've bought my coffee and there is nowhere now for me to sit because you have to look at that as me paying for their use of that particular space and how much longer are we going to go on for doing that? I don't mind giving money. And if that's a charitable activity, I don't have a problem with that. I, I want to live amongst nice people who think that that's a good thing to do. I think that's really important there. But how sustainable is that going forward when the whole of Starbucks is jammed up with people who are running their businesses on the, the very good Wi-Fi they provide there and they're not actually spending money in there? I just can't imagine that it's going to be terribly sustainable. Really interesting topic. as well. So that's changed. That has actually changed. Uh, at Starbucks pol- have, have changed their policy with that, really. And I, and I think that is a reflection. And that's where I want to kind of start your thinking on this topic, because that's a fundamental change about how society needs to react and the services it currently gets. And I'd love to hear from you if you have a, a comment or a topic on that as well. Again, text number is 07624 802272. You can tag me at Russell Prue on Twitter, or you can drop me an email, studio at andertontiger.com. I'm across all of those. And if you want to pick up the dog and bone, you are very welcome to do that as well. So some interesting topics there as well. It was very interesting to hear a bit more about Simon's experience with Uber. And he talked quite in detail about this he has a fabulous um uh rating on uber and i'll let him tell you about that so let's hear some more from simon if we talk about uber have you had a go of uber at some point russell not personally no well here's the thing is that i'm fairly late to the party on this i've only had an uber account for about two years and what happens is is that the drivers you rate the driver but the drivers rate you and so you have a star rating and it's out of five 
and I have a five-star rating with Uber, which I, you know, I haven't given much thought to. But several times when I've discussed with people who use Uber, they have reached for my phone and they've taken a picture of my five-star rating because it is a, a, a kind of unique, quirky thing that they want to show to somebody else. Now, this is really interesting because now I've realized is that in terms of my CV, in terms of my resume, my five-star rating apparently counts for something, slightly tongue-in-cheek, but it does count for something. Now, coming back to that thing about uh, where we have a driving offence, how does that impact on my on my Uber rating, and how would my Uber rating then uh, impact upon my Facebook rating, my WhatsApp rating, which inevitably will come, and my Instagram rating? So we start to see that we have a credit score. Now, I think this is where things get really interesting. Because you, can you remember, what, 10, 15 years ago, people couldn't get credit depending on their postcode. You know, so you go into the John Lewis partnership and you tell them what your postcode is. And they say, oh, no, we don't, we don't give store cards to people. But that happened. You know, that's, you were just kind of, so you may have been uh, somebody like us, filthy rich with lots and lots of money. And then we, we somehow, our personal circumstances changed. So we, we found ourselves in a flat in, in one of those postcodes and then we can't get a John Lewis card. Now, I think that the same thing is going to happen with certainly that thing that we were talking about in driving, but that my Uber rating will also be an interesting um, data set about my value. And that's a really good point. I think Simon makes there as well. Perhaps the the data set, the combination. And wouldn't it be interesting if if taking that one stage further? And and Simon does in his full recording. I've just pulled out just under two minutes of that topic there for you. Uh, Simon goes on to talk about other services and the withdrawal of other services because you've behaved badly elsewhere. Wouldn't that be interesting? Now, is that something we have to wait for the uh, nationalised internet? <laughs> Howsoever it's going to come, I don't actually physically think that is going to be. It was just a, I think it's just an election promise. I don't really don't see any possibility of them ever being able to do that. If, if they could have done, they would have done because it could have solved lots of problems they haven't done that they've used free market principles it's very difficult to go back once everyone's had a taste of what they want to have a taste of um, and exercise their freedom and their rights and uh, a whole manner of things but I think we all kind of understand the fact that we're being looked at and whilst you might be able to buy cheaper car insurance because you've got one of these little black boxes these little flight recorders that sit in the car and uh, and measure acceleration or deacceleration, your speeds when there are limits, uh, national speed limits and 30 mile an hour speed limits, how long you park outside certain buildings. So if your car spends or, or regularly visits a particular shop, uh, then that data is all being collected and chomped around. And of course, if you go to the gym five times a week, you're parking outside the gym and or whatever. <laughs> Some really interesting ideas that you could, you, you could, fake a whole interesting uh life experience there and get some great things but what i want to do is just it's not just about you pushing uh, information out it's about who's monitoring that and where that data is going and how it gets used we've seen the um the whole analytical uh problem blow up in our face with facebook and how data is being munched and uh, andy talks about uh the wikileaks thing in just a minute in some great detail um with some uh some very interesting implications to that as well because before um edward snowden blew the lid off that nobody 
we only had to go on uh, uh, officials' responses, which was, no, of course we're not monitoring that. And then um, Edward said, well, here you are, and here's some brilliant evidence uh, to prove that. And it got him into a, a lot of trouble for that. But, you know, I have to say, with hindsight, looking back, that's probably a really good thing, because up until then, we all kind of believed what we were being told. Uh, and that was a lie. And that is very interesting. We only have to look at the couple of nights televisions um, uh, content over the last few days, and you'll see that folks are still trying to pull the wool over uh, the British public and the world's public eyes, really. And I think that social media, when you know where to look and to find things out, it's very easy to kind of check stuff out, the fact checker. And that brings us back to the the Twitter uh, muck up last night. But um, that was amusing, I think, really. I hope it didn't fool anyone. Um, certainly didn't fool me. And I think a lot of people were perhaps very angry about that. Uh, for me, uh, it disappointed me that someone who's paid a whole lot more money uh, than I am thought that they could pull the wool over the British public's eyes. And I, it just kind of annoys me a little bit because we are not that stupid. I don't know who they're meeting, but it's very easy. Uh, to kind of find stuff out these days if you know where to look. I just hope folk have got more time to look as well. I also wanted to talk to Simon about behaviour and how that's changed and he's going to talk in a couple of minutes about some great detail about the really sad um, occurrence in the Essex uh, lorry. A lot of deaths uh, with people who were uh, suffocated in a lorry there and and that is really sad, not looking to talk about that in detail. It's how the British public treated that lorry on its journey. So it needed to be moved by the police and some great uh, BBC coverage from that as well. And we can see on the side of the roads that folks are just stopping getting out of their car and filming it. Experiencing this through their mobile phones, their six inch screens or whatever, and for me, that is disrespectful. And I think the tricky bit here is not wanting to appear like Richard Wilson and and keep saying I don't believe it and and kind of harking back to how it was. There's there's clearly been a behavioural change. Folk believe that they can behave differently, and for me, um, behaving poorly i have to say and not meeting a minimum standard because i think that was really bad so let's hear from uh, simon finch i'll give you his uh, twitter handle uh, in just a moment I'll give you all the details all the bibliography details you need to just kind of follow these really interesting folks uh, and thank you very much for listening we've got a, a decent amount of listeners across the uk thank you so much uh, for joining us hope you're enjoying us we're completely live it's just 26 minutes past eight it's wednesday the 20th of november we're live you're listening to russell proves social media and we're specifically looking at behavior manners and how people conduct themselves these days let's catch another conversation with simon i'm not sure that young people are frightened or even or even perceive the risks i'm i'm what i'm perhaps worried more about is that adults educating them still don't perceive uh, the no, risk absolutely that is exactly what i've you've, you've said in 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 10 words what it's just taken me 15 minutes to, to struggle to say. No, the, the, you haven't struggled the at all. challenge we have is, is the adults. Because as far as children are concerned, you know, children think Christmas is ages away. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, whether, and whether they are, 
secondary pupils, you know, and, and I used to be a secondary teacher, so that you were endlessly telling children that, that, that uh, their exam was in three months' time, and then when their exam came around, they said, what is it this week? You know, an inability to, to, to understand future and project forward, you know, and, and to understand those things is, is, is common of youth, and that only comes with, with experience. So why would the children that I work with, I frequently work with 9, 10, 11-year-olds in primary school, when I say in only six years' time, what you have posted now could decide whether you get an apprenticeship or whether you go to place at college. Well, six years' time, I mean, it's just like 600 years' time. Why would they understand that? So we need the adults to understand and to model this stuff. And that is really difficult because, in fact, we can look through our peers, the people who will be listening to this, who will nod sagely. I have so many parents who come to my sessions and nod sagely at everything I say, and then I see them online. <laughs> doing exactly the things that <laughs> that we were rather hoping that they wouldn't do, you know, about blaming children for, for the way that they behave online. Indeed. And when we're seeing um, adults journey to other countries to try and approach the tech companies and ask them why, uh, sadly, their daughter lost their lives, took their own lives um, because of a self-harm video is is all mm-hmm. very, very interesting indeed. But I wonder how, how important parental engagement is when uh, parents are sending their kids to schools without being properly toilet trained, without being able to use a knife and fork. And I've seen this countless times uh, both oh. ends i have to say and it's appalling they seem to have outsourced their parenting skills uh, to the education system well yes <laughs> that's a tough one isn't it it is exactly you're, you, you could have interviewed yourself russell and then you wouldn't have needed me because these are exactly the points that that i make all of the time which is that uh, i feel like the person who goes into school and talks about uh, you know five pieces of fruit and veg a day is 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 that the adults will very often Say well, you know, we'll have Simon in for for an hour, and then that'll be that. Uh, you know, we don't need to think about this for another. When in fact, it is a drip drip that must take place. Uh, you know, every minute, every interaction of, and you see that with road safety, for example. You know, yeah. it's just like even if uh, you know when my kids are in their twenties now, is if I'm crossing a road with them, I grab hold of their arm and I look both ways before we cross roads. If I'm by myself, I just do that. You know, fearless weaving them out of the traffic, and so <laughs> you're absolutely right. Is that the, the until we, we work with the parents and the teachers, you know, the adults responsible for young people is the, the, the phrase that I use, mm. then, the, then the, the young people uh, stand very little chance because what we... The very same people who uh, are complaining about the way that the young people behave online are the same ones who behave so disgracefully, and it is disgracefully, um, online themselves and so we you know we can and it's it's nuanced stuff of course there are people who are swearing and shouting out racist things there is that part of it but you know this is a spectrum we're on a we're on a, a sliding scale so one of the bits that we could that i talk about a lot but i saw uh, was raised by others online last week which is that 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 dreadful tragedy of all of those poor people who lost their lives in that lorry what one of the observations by many was was that as the lorry was was being removed by the police and driven down the road there were adults who were clearly recording and live streaming the event and yet what seems to me to be so obvious as an is it because i'm an old person that that consideration and empathy for the families 
is about that as that lorry went past, I would have stopped smiling, I would have stopped talking to my friends, and I would have lowered my head a little bit, and I would have been solemn for the moment of that. It would not have crossed my mind for a moment to be thinking, I'm going to get some likes, I'm going to get some ratings, I'm going to get some followers, I'm going to get some, I could go viral by videoing this, which is what the quest is. And, you know, and we see this time and time again of, of adults who would rather record an incident than step, up, step forward and help. This is what digital citizenship is about. Yeah. You know, people talk about it as being all kinds of other fancy things and about learning styles or something. But it's digital citizenship is about consideration. It's about helping your neighbor. It's about wanting to be the person that supports somebody else, to be the person that people want to be around. Absolutely. It still bothers me enormously that folk go to special events, to concerts, and their only view of that concert is through the tiny little six-inch screen because they've filmed it all. Where's the storage space for that going for starters? Where's the experience guard? The, the, you know, the, we seem to have lost that. That human experience has gone. Well, yes, yes. But I, it, and, and, and what, what cynics would say is, is that uh, social media has caused this. And one of the questions that I ask is, is whether social media holds up a, a mirror or a magnifying glass to the human condition. And, you know, do, you know, are people worse than they would have been? And I suspect that it's a mirror actually. I think that people have always been so mean and so small-minded and, and paid lip service to, to consideration and, and community because uh, we see so often now uh, a lack of tolerance and a, and a, a lack of uh, kindness when we saw, you know, when we see refugees uh, uh, and asylum seekers coming to this country, and people start to hark back to a time when when England was England and that white and all of these things, and yet none of this stuff makes any sense because we we have always been an island of, and so people have come and gone, and you know, when the Romans came here, and they were Italian, I think they were certainly foreign, you know, and and, and Angles and Saxons weren't English, you know, they came from other countries and all that stuff. And yet what we see is on social media is that people say, and they start with, they so often start their tweets and their, their thing with, I'm sorry, but. Yeah. And yet the last thing that they are is sorry. Amazing. And he's absolutely right with that. It, the last thing they are is sorry. It's, it's great as well. Uh, we're seeing uh, some great conversations. Thank you so much indeed. I'm looking down my uh, Twitter uh, stream. I use TweetDeck so I can see all the accounts that I'm responsible for at the same time. I see lots of people using uh, uh, fact checkers in their, in their... It's like when... Um, was it Reese Mogg said it's about Esquire or something? People had to use their, their official names. And then everyone put Esquire on the end of their Twitter name. What? That's kind of um, uh, sartorial, and I like that very much. And I can see some some fact checkers have uh, have sprung up as well. Uh, there's also uh, a text message. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, this is from and didn't put your name. So um, loving the discussion, Russell. Russell, I'm sorry. <laughs> loving. Let me start that again. <laughs> let me have another run at that. As Simon Mayer would have said, loving the discussion, Russell. Have you not changed your radio account on Twitter to be called Radio Fact Checker? Uh, for the evening? 
listening keep up the brilliant discussions no i've not and i've only just thought of that because you've uh, sent me that i'm a, a little bit behind the times i've just cancelled my day old news <laughs> i need to take a subscription out to behind the times uh, thank you so much indeed simon that was absolutely brilliant uh, colleagues if you want to follow simon on uh twitter uh, that's the last we're going to hear from simon today unless he telephones which you're very welcome to do actually i can record and live but i wasn't sure you're going to be available at eight o'clock on wednesday the 20th uh, he is at SimFin, and his website is simfinuk.com, and you can book him, and he is available, and he will come to your school, and he will frighten your staff and your pupils, if you wish. But I think he'd like to do something a little bit uh, cleverer than that, and that's intrigue them, that we know, uh, as Sagata Mitra said, children will learn what they want to learn. And I think the trick for educators... Uh, is to try and make them want to learn how to behave better. And I think the answer isn't to do with technology, and it is to do, if we're kind of working our way through these topics now, the answer is really about behaviour, and, and Andy's going to talk about education and how important that is. It's 25 minutes to nine. We have lots of content still to go, but I think it's time for some music now, and I am so loving this particular track. This is Liam Gallagher, and I just absolutely love this one of us net support radio broadcasting live every day from 3 p.m powered by anderton tiger the official broadcaster of bet 2020 Yes, and a chance to tell you about that as well. So excited. Now, the official. You'd think that was so amazing. Official. I needed them bigger lights. Official broadcaster at bet. Brilliant. It's Net Support Radio, and it's all happening again. But this year, it's official. It's official, ladies and gentlemen. I can't impress upon uh, uh, enough uh, of that. It's really good. So, uh, really good. NL44 is where you need to be. It's going to be the best stand at the whole of the bet show. And we are broadcasting live every day of bet right the way through the show including saturday at three o'clock we're going to start a live show and of course our very good friends from westwood radio they're bringing students down on the friday and we're going to have year six are going to present their friday show from 2 15 from the stand live so if you're at the show come and see how young folks actually put a really exciting live show together there as well it's really good uh, so simon thank you so much indeed from that i found out who the tweet was from through the text message it was from al thank you so much indeed uh, and it was really good i don't know why i didn't do that i was i was far too busy being cross about it uh, and i think that's really good um uh, talking about behavior as well recently really enjoyed some fabulous uh television programs about the duchy of cornwall his royal highness uh, really enjoyed that as well prince charles there but what i was also found very f quite fascinating about it is that um p p people have kind of lost the will with the royal protocols now is that because we've become a little less royalistic about it is it because there are now more people who are quite comfortable about being uh, anti-royal and that's fine i'm okay with that but but my view is that when you're presented with someone, and particularly when you're presented with someone who's probably senior, and I think we've kind of lost touch of that. Um, I was schooled in an age where when the head teacher walked in, we stood. The class stood. It was the natural thing to do. And I quite enjoy showing 
those levels of respect and good manners. And there was none of that. Very, very little of it on um, the Duchy of Cornwall. I was very interested because I do like the eggs and the biscuits. So enjoying the uh, the cheese biscuits that His Royal Highness personally makes, I'm quite sure. Um, so I was really interested to see how the, the whole estate and the whole... Uh, brand works. I was watching that, but you'd see him kind of walk into a barber's. Now, folk knew he was coming because there was a camera crew already in there filming His Royal Highness coming in, but nobody, nobody in that barber shop got out of their seat. Uh, I wouldn't expect you having your hair with clippers because that could have been a very interesting uh, designer haircut, but folks waiting uh, to be attended to by a barber didn't get up at all. And I see people not curtsying and I see people not bowing just the whole level the general kind of respect thing seems to have gone out the window and I is that a generation thing is that a generation y thing is that a generation x thing is it a millennials thing is it a social media thing perhaps if they were filming it through their camera people feel more um inclined to do that I know that uh pumpkins this is hilarious pumpkin sales have gone through the roof this year and that's not because oh my goodness we must enjoy uh, halloween it's because of instagram and there was this huge uh, competition about you know trying to get your very best uh, uh, uh pumpkin with uh, for for halloween and people were going and selecting um, the best pumpkins from shops and because it was very difficult to order a pumpkin online uh, and and uh, growers and uh, pick your own farms were reporting a huge surge in sales around the 31st of October this year I think it's quite fascinating and it's not because people have suddenly grown into that it's because uh, folks want to film themselves doing that and that's very interesting as well I'll give you outside both some of the resources as well let's bring Andy Fippin into the conversation he's very keen to catch up with him and let's let him take his conversation from here hi Russell uh, really good to talk to you as always um I think probably since the last time I spoke to you I've gone a lot more legal um, which is um, an interesting position to be in, but not just like, you know, talking about where the law's at, but why the law won't work. So so obviously I still spend plenty of time talking to young people, talking to people of all ages about their use of technology. And you see um, the emergence of legislation, the, the online harms. I hesitate to use the word white paper because it's the greenest white paper I've ever seen in my life. Um, um, and and the, the the focus seems to be on we're going to sort this out with technology and law. So so that's really where I'm at at the moment. I think I think you know my background is computer science. Um, so when I I see these politicians coming up with with the latest um, vote winning scheme to to protect children, you sit there and go well, yeah great, but that's not actually technically possible. It does position one in a in an interesting place to be because well you don't want to just sit there and go that's not going to work again. You are sat there going, that's not going to work again. So, um, so, and it just it utterly um, detracts from what young people are saying. And so, so you know, I'm I'm still chugging along, but um, but it does seem to be that I'm spending way more time looking at where the legal position is, where it's going, and and what might work and what doesn't work. And just pick up in, just to pick up on that, uh, let's talk about end-to-end -end encryption because the, the government mm. have a very interesting view about how they're going to solve all of that. Uh, and we both share the same kind of background, so we can go into this. But let's just remember where our listeners are, probably mm -hmm. not so invested uh, in, in the technological solutions there. But they have a very interesting uh, view about how they're going to encrypt everything and then be able to unencrypt stuff when they want to look inside the box, don't they? 
Yes, it's it's a very interesting one. I mean, encryption is it was developed to make sure that our communications remain private, and um, it seems to be a perfectly reasonable thing for us to think that our communications should be private. Um, but obviously, sometimes the bad guys use communications technology for uh, in private for um, for less reputable or, or more worrying communications and, and sometimes people go well why why shouldn't we be able to see them so yeah the government's proposing that um uh, you should only use encryption if there's back doors into encryption so by back doors i mean ways of breaking the encryption and they said oh you know those back doors should be available to to law enforcement which is utter nonsense really because <laughs> uh, either you have encrypted communication or you don't have encrypted communication you can't have a bit of encrypted communication because that's really, what we're going to bear in mind here is we're dealing with algorithms, we're dealing with computer code. Um, and it's not very good at subjective interpretation. So there's no way in a, a piece of code to go, are you a goodie? Yes, well, there you go, let's decrypt it for you. Are oh, you a bloody no word? Stay away from it. Um, and it, I think it demonstrates very clearly this discussion um, how poorly the policymakers understand the technology around them. I mean, um, Rather famously, there's a guy called John Perry Barlow who, who put forward, he's from the Electronic Fr uh, Frontiers Foundation in the US, put forward a manifesto for the digital age many years ago where he basically said, governments don't try and legislate cyberspace, you won't be able to. Um, as a, he, he was uh, reacting to a piece of US legislation which was trying to control telecommunications markets. Mm -hmm. And he was just basically saying, you're not going to be able to do this because communication is global and legislation is national. Um, and I can remember a while ago when Amber Rudd was still Home Secretary, her saying that she couldn't see any reason why the general public would need encrypted communications anyway. Um, and, and those of us who are somewhat curmudgeonly in nature immediately came out with things like, well, you'd be very welcome to do online banking without encryption, Amber. Can you just tell me where you're going to do it? Because I'll sit there next to you and hoover up your bank details as you go. You know, we have very legitimate reasons why we might wish our communications to be private. You know, there was a time where we were told that, you know, anyone who thought the government did sniff on people's communications was a, a tinfoil-hatted conspiracy theorist. Then Edward Snowden came along and went, oh, actually, they do. And here's a load of details about what they've done in the past. Um, and while we might think at the moment, now, uh, there are different views on this, that our government is still vaguely liberal and, and vaguely progressive, um, uh, so, so why would they be snooping on our communications in a in a, in a invasive way? But what happens when you get a, a less progressive government who decide, rather than just intercepting elite communications for the planning of illegal activities, to decide to intercept those communications for maybe people who disagree with you politically? You know, it's it's a really scary sort of step forward. It's a bit like um, uh, the debates around governments enforcing vaccinations. Mm. While, while on paper it sounds vaguely sensible, and you think, but but what happens when governments start to change what what the necessary vaccinations are and things like that? You you can't you can't base legislation on what the government is doing now. You need to be thinking about what the government might be doing in the future. So, so yeah, I just I just find the whole thing you know somewhat somewhat bizarre. We and um, it, I do too as well, Andy. It's it's. In it's terribly bizarre and i i think there's no leadership coming from the government i think we can quite plainly see that uh, and it takes a government minister to really cock it up um because we can't do that ourselves like really 
take someone uh, with that um, ridiculous knowledge that we don't need encryption. Of course we do, and banking's a perfect example, um, and some messaging as well, and uh, how we kind of conduct ourselves. And uh, I just wonder whether a two-tier system um, is going to help that. I can't see that it will, and the, by the two-tier system I mean the kind of the free service that we have, um, and other folk will choose to do something elsewhere. And uh, will that corral people in a certain space and make that very difficult and unpopular to do, which is uh, really fascinating as well. It's just coming up to 10 minutes to nine. Thank you so much indeed, Andy. That was brilliant. Made some really, really good points. Uh, I also wanted to talk to Andy in some more detail about fake accounts because that's really interesting. That's some great advice about how to spot fake accounts and how to go and check them. And I don't think we make enough use of Google's image search. It is really, really, very good you can just upload an image and do a search on the image so instead of typing a word in you just upload a photograph and you can of course upload someone's um, photo their profile photo and see where else it appears on the web and you can see it appears lots of accounts then pretty good analogy that that person is a fake a person and using a fake account for that and Andy makes a really interesting point just coming up now, uh, particularly about we're going to have to do that. Folks using the net are going to have to sweep up for ourselves, uh, a bit like a shopkeeper who goes out and cleans the pavement in front of their shop. We're going to have to do those things ourselves. We can't count on the council or the local authority to come and do that for us. It's kind of uh, that's enough now and people are going to have to make the choices themselves. I'm going to be the woolly liberal here now, as I, I generally am, and I, I think this sort of thing has to fall back to education. Um, the, the companies can do so much in terms of identifying um, fake accounts and taking them down, and, and they do have some success in doing so. However, we as a society need to be able to start to understand more accurately that these things do exist rather than just blindly trusting anything that's posted up online as, oh, that must be a real person. I mean, one only needs to visit Boris Johnson's Facebook page when you know a, a post pops up and then about uh, 200 people go, well done, Boris, that was great. And you think, well, are all these people actually chosen to say exactly the same thing? Or are this just a bunch of fake accounts who are just um, immediately triggering as soon as something's posted up? Um, and we need to be more critical and we need to understand uh, how the digital world isn't necessarily reflective in uh, reflected in reality. I think that you know that draws back to all manner of education around this space. It was interesting. I was talking to um, the online safety leader at my kids' school the other day, and he just spent a session with his. Uh, he calls them digital champions, and he said, "Right, what what do you think online safety education looks like?" And they all went um, critical thinking. Um, none of them were saying we want um, lessons on porn or lessons on sexting or whatever. We want critical thinking because everything hinges on that. And I thought, you know, again, from the mouths of babes, um, they seem to have a far better and more sensible grasp on this sort of thing than, than the adult population who all just sit there with their arms folded going, well, Facebook's got to put a stop to this, hasn't it? You know, they, they can to a certain extent, but it's the same with, with the discourse that happens on their platforms. Twitter blogged a while ago that they're very successful in taking down Islamist rhetoric now. However, if they start to tackle far-right rhetoric, they end up um, flagging posts by people like Donald Trump. And obviously, um, that might cause some problems if they're immediately taking down posts by the American president. Oh, I don't know. I think I could <laughs> I, I could quite easily argue a case for that as well. It's certainly tidy up his punctuation. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, that letter today. Oh, dear. Yeah. 
<laughs> what can you say? I mean, I often look at who wants to be a millionaire as a good indicator of our social, economic and educational skills. And most recently, it's been quite appalling. Even the host has been calling us all dumb Britain because some of the most, you know, but you know, we haven't got to a thousand pounds yet. And we've used all our lifelines for from a series of questions that you and I, uh, because... I don't know, we're so much older than the young folks yeah, are today, yeah. take for granted, and it's that kind of information there. So, so so, how do you think we'll be using? What will we be doing? Will we have Facebook in 10 years' time? Will we have Twitter? Will we have something like it? Will we want to share that? And I think you've touched on a little of that with the 5G capability, that people are likely to be, you know, head cam streaming everything. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um... It's, it's kind of interesting what you're looking at with the platforms at the moment is kind of the ubiquity of messaging and stuff. So, so um, you know, Facebook acquired WhatsApp and they've got Instagram already and they're looking for unified messaging and things. It's almost like the the platforms are becoming less important and the, the control of the personal information is becoming more important as we're, it's, less, it's less important what platform we're on opposed to where our social interactions are happening. And... Um, you know, it used to be uh, Facebook or nothing. Now it's Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. Um, Twitter has morphed into something of a news channel. Mm. Um, um, so I, 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 I'm sure Facebook as a company will still exist and be still very, very successful. But but they seem to be moving into um, like personal and group communications as much as the social media platform. I think we might be looking at social media platforms as they are at the moment and thinking they're ever so cute and naive. 10 years time because we can just choose who we broadcast our information to and um, the platforms will provide us with that and, and happily hoover up all the conversations we're having and analyze us and then target us with marketing and, and other things as a result of this information we freely give but I think it's that the platforms are going to become less ubiquitous I would suggest okay and is there ever going to be the possibility of living off grid um it's, it would be bloody hard work to do that. I think uh, you know it's, it's it's now getting to the point where online banking is cheaper. Tax returns are becoming entirely online. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it's almost like you, you'd have to make a concerted effort and a continuous concerted effort to do that. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's going to become more and more difficult. You know, we we convince ourselves that we use these devices all the time for our own convenience. But um, there's certainly a compulsion there as well. And you, know, you completely get why companies want us to interact with them online because it's a damn sight cheaper than face-to-face -face interactions. And the fact that you will have to do your tax returns digitally basically means if you are running a business or you have a level of employment beyond PAYE, you mm. have to be online. Yes. Otherwise, you, you can't exist in the commercial world. No. Um, yeah, increasingly, car parks are uh, app-based and, you know, it's... It, 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 there is value there to the industry and we sort of like go along with it because there's convenience for us as well. I think um, Andy makes a very good point there about app-based car parks. There's a, a car park in Banbury, uh, which has recently, for technical reasons, um, gone over to entirely app. You can't pay with cash and the, the card readers don't work there either. So you have to use uh, the app on your phone to pay for the parking. And uh, there are cars in there. And I have to assume that folk are OK doing that and comfortable doing that. Um, it's uh, coming up to uh, nine o'clock. At nine o'clock, both of these two guests 
interviews in full and uh, I think I spoke to Simon for about 25 minutes and slightly longer uh, for Andy the whole interview the whole lot all together presented as one downloadable file and you can download it and enjoy it if you're taking one of my RSS feeds I am also on um, iTunes you'll find the interview in iTunes and it'll be posted into Spotify at nine o'clock uh, this evening I didn't want to do it before because of course you just download that and not listen to me and that's not the point of the exercise is it really uh, here's my final question to Andy um, uh-huh. can I just finally ask you about your students that you're currently teaching what is uh-huh. their long-term prognosis how upbeat or downbeat would you say they are that's a really interesting question. I see some, you know, very positive things. Certainly tech students are looking at very lucrative careers in the future. Um, you know, the, the, the digital sector can't fill by anywhere near the demand. So if, if anyone's listening and thinking of a, a career in technology, go do a computer science degree because you will be pretty much guaranteed a job. Um, more, more generally, socially, I, I don't see um, connectivity as something that's having a massively positive impact upon them. I mean, we, I have a PhD student at the moment looking at the role tech plays in, in digital, in students' lives, and a lot of them talk about loneliness a great deal. You know, they, they interact with a lot of people, but they don't have many friends because their interactions are all digital, so, so you're losing that human contact. I also fear that as a sector we are excessively collecting data upon students and, and stressing them out with some of these digital platforms. So... So, you know, we, we talk quite a lot about anti-plagiarism software and plagiarism detection systems. And it, it really does get to a point where some of the students I speak to are utterly terrified of these, you know, systems that exist in the ether that <laughs> that will find out whether they're cheating and, and fail them if they are. And that's really not the role that they, they were supposed to be there for. They were supposed to flag up areas of potential plagiarism that, that the, the member of staff might like to check out there. But they are again being used poorly and being applied in in a manner for which perhaps they weren't being developed so well I mean, one of the things I, I have been banging on about for about five years now is never mind in schools we really need digital awareness what digital literacy actually means in the university sector we know there's, there's been a few fairly high profile cases such as what's happening at Warwick at the moment of some fairly horrendous um, abuse online that the institutions really haven't responded to um, so as a sector, they really need to pull their socks up, I think, and actually understand. I remember going to one institution a while ago and saying, oh, we're really worried about mental health. So what we've done, we've bought this software platform that if we haven't heard from them for a while, it sends them a text message. And I just sort of looked at them and went, so we're already overloading students with digital information. And what you're saying is, we're that concerned about you. Here's an anonymous text message just to say, how's Some things more. doing? Oh, geez. you know, it'll send them over the edge. And... You know, I, I think as well, we, we, we are still struggling with the, the concept of consent around the use of people's information. Yes. And I see, I see a lot of abuse in the university sector. And that we, we have their mobile phone for one thing, therefore we'll use it for something else. Or, or let's just share that information. You know, there's, there's a lot of concerns there. And, and it's only the fact that public knowledge isn't sufficiently um, embedded around our data protection rights that I think people aren't getting sued more often. And can I just now throw a finally, finally, and because you've just prompted a very interesting there, do your students feel that they have the right currently to complain or a right of redress if they feel that their information has been used incorrectly? And that's a 
perfect opportunity, I think, to kind of wrap things up on that topic because I wonder whether, if they feel that they're being bothered, do they feel sufficiently empowered to be able to take themselves away from those platforms? Very, very simple answer to that is no. Um, you know, they have messages in schools drummed into them that once it's online, it's always online. You shouldn't have done that. Um, anything that goes wrong online is your fault. So so if they feel like their information is being excessively collected or abused, they'll kind of just go, well, it's my fault. I, you know, there, there is uh, an absolute utter lack of awareness of what our rights are generally. You know, I always come back to the, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. You know, we, we ratified that in 1989. However, no one seems to apply it. And um, certainly isn't is the, the students I see now until they come into my class and then they become a little bit more militant. They don't really understand their data protection rights until I point them out to them. Okay, I, and that's really good. I just hope the fact that they, they have the power and the capacity to be able to exercise those rights. And I think I, I, what I've learned from a conversation is and it's, it's about exercising one's rights. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing one's rights and actually understanding you have a right to know these things. You know, the, I, I always come back to the fact that online safety messaging in schools really hasn't changed in the last 10 years. So, so the sorts of messages we were delivering 10 years ago, mm. those are now adults. So we're seeing the knock-on from that as well. You know, you've known me a long time. I always come back to education, and education is far more important than technical intervention. Um, yet we're still not doing it very well. No, we're not. And we're not changing behaviour, which is the one thing there. Um, Andy, just amazing. Uh, 25 minutes of pulsating brilliance i have to say and, five minutes well i know it time does fly when you're having a, a, a ball thank you thank you so much indeed for joining us you've really opened our eyes and uh good luck with uh, your students this year thanks very much russ always good to talk to you i love you guys you are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge in, in the mix you're listening to russell pro broadcasting on the anderson tiger radio network just coming up to three and a half minutes past nine. Thank you so much indeed, Andy, for that. Of course, it is the 30th anniversary of the um, the Convention of Rights of the Child, which is really interesting uh, that we should be talking about that in that particular piece, the 30th anniversary of that. And you have to ask yourself, have we fundamentally uh, made that progress as well? Uh, so finally, 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 my view is that uh, social media in the future, it's definitely going to be owned by Facebook. If it's not Facebook themselves doing it, it, they're likely to own it although right now google have by far the biggest load of cash of all the social media firms so and they're not looking or i can't see that they're looking and and i would probably be the last person to know because that's how you make an acquisition you don't really tell everyone about until you've done it so um they may well be looking to do that they could afford to buy facebook if they wanted to that would be very interesting that'd be a monopolies and mergers commission really interesting media i'd love to get into that as well um, uh, there are some great resources about fake news on the BBC Academy website. If you just go to the or, or follow on Twitter, the BBC Young Reporter, and that's at BBC Young Report, no ER because they've run out of characters there. So at BBC Young Report, if you want to do that, it's BBC Academy there. Really good how young folks can look stuff up. And some great video resources there. Hugh Edwards, good fan of the show. Some great uh, resources from Hugh there as well. I think that more conversations will take place within groups because if you think about how you interact online, the public timeline, whether you choose to post on that or not, I think will become less important as we go forward. And it's really going to be all about 
our group conversations because because I, I know my uh, professional learning network, my my um, uh, PLN, uh, that I want to just talk to them and get their conversations going. Although my posts are, are generally appear in the timeline, I am less interested in that as time goes on. It's about those kind of group, those kind of walled garden. There's that term again. Uh, conversations within that area, which is really good. Um, I've talked to you about the fake uh, uh, photo search, which you can do really, really well. Just go to images.google.com and upload your... You don't need to register with Google to do that. Just to upload the photograph and see where it's been used on the web. Really powerful tool, I have to say. Uh, perhaps you could do uh, some of uh, the Prime Minister's tweets as well and we can see what's going on. Wouldn't that be interesting? Thank you so much indeed. It's just coming up to six and a half minutes past nine. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We've really picked at the topic of social media. Uh, my next show will be in December before we break up, I have to say, and we will be exclusively be looking at Bet 2020, what it has in store, and I will be fulfilling my responsibilities as the official broadcaster. We will bring you an exciting net support radio show with the very latest news about the show and how it is divided up. And I can tell you some very interesting things about that, and I will play one of my Bet 2020 jingles just to say goodbye to you. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. You'll catch all of this on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com forward slash Russell Prue, where you will find the two guest interviews, the fabulous Simon Finch and the fabulous and brilliant Andy Fippin. Both of, the, both of those interviews will be up there now for you. Uh, enjoy, listen to them uh, and see what you think. Always come back with any questions if you want. Always pleased to hear from you. Thanks very much for your company this evening. Have a very good rest of the night and enjoy the jungle. New for Bet 2020. Dedicated zones to help you find your way around the show. The Learning Tech Zone, where learning and technology collide. The Teaching Tech Zone, where you'll find services, advice for management, monitoring and assessment. Equipment and Hardware Zone, find all the physical tech you need, laptops, AV, tablets and more. The Global Showcase Zone is where you'll find all the top brands like Microsoft, HP and Adobe and lots more. In the Management Solutions Zone, you'll find everything for running your academies, institutions, campus and schools. For the first time in 28 years, the Education Show will move to Sit Inside Bet in January 2020. Go to betshow.com for blogs, inspiration and all the details you need to plan your visit in January. Oh,